Hey, this is Jesse. George. And Robert. And you're listening to BitBytes, an analytical discussion about gaming. Thanks for joining us. Okay, we're on quarantine episode two, and this time we have a real setup for our audio. Last time was a little bit janky. <laughs> we were trying to feel things out. We were adapting, and now we are fully online. We're prepared this time. Yay. <laughs> we did it. You're welcome, listeners. So with all of this quarantining, this extra time on people's hands, I'm sure that a lot of people have, uh, there's been a lot of TV watching, video game playing. And one title that has floated around for quite a while, even before the quarantine, but now I feel like everyone who didn't get a chance to watch has watched The Witcher. With the exception of both of us. Yeah, both of us. <laughs> We're just Notably. saving it. We, we Everybody do, but you two. Yeah, exactly. We do one show at a time and we do not overlap. We do not cross stream. So once we're done with the show we're watching now, we'll switch over. But um, uh, You're not so pure. <laughs> What's been going on in the background? Oh, I've been watching the Star Wars Clone Wars. Okay. Oh, I've been it's watching. Star Wars I've been Clone secretly Wars. watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine oh, okay, nine behind my okay, back. Okay, okay. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Just to set the record straight, but yes, we have not seen The Witcher. George, you saw it, right? I did, yes. And is it quality? Um, depends on your your definition of quality. Is it quantity? <laughs> no. It's, no, because it's only eight episodes. Is then it what a- is it? <laughs> so supposedly from the people that I've talked to um, who have also watched the new series – that it's the short stories of the Witcher series. So when you watch it, there's kind of this sense of there's a lot of jumping around and going back and forth. And uh, there it does chronologically flow, but it feels a little discombobulated. And I think that's because they're following more of the short stories as that they are in the books. And then the next season that they're going to do is going to be more of the actual Witcher story. Gotcha. Uh, so it's the introductory little, it's almost like a teaser season. Set yeah, up some context, get you familiar with all the players. Right. That's kind of cool. Okay. But the, so but the other thing is, is there's very little context in the, in the series. So unless you've like read the books or you've played the games, there are a good amount of things that surprisingly you don't really know. And when me and my girlfriend were watching it, I had to fill her in on a lot of like, oh, this person's this and they do this and she's connected to this person and, and whatnot because they don't really do a very good job of explaining that. Yeah, but George, how could you possibly know what's going on in the show if it's just a show? How does that even work? Because there's also a series of games. What? Well, yeah, right? what? Well, that's, you know, this whole conversation about all of these cross-media platforms with this one series and, like, personally in my own life, I have a coworker. The couple recently got a Switch, and her husband mentioned wanting to get The Witcher, asking if they should get The Witcher for the Switch because they saw the TV show, and that was their first introduction to it. And so I just thought The Witcher was such an interesting case study of like all of these different media platforms and like people not even like 
starting from the source material, but like in their case, they're going backwards, like starting from the latest media iteration. And then I didn't even like know the full backstory until Robert, you were telling me a little bit about its history of the Witcher IP origin. Yeah, which George, you just alluded to some of the complexity. It's like even the source material, it's like there's some books and then there's some extra and then we're going to turn it into some fan fiction, which is going to all inform these games. And then the games are going to be extremely different. Each installment is very, very different. And that third one hitting like, I don't know, it seemed like I didn't even hear about the series until the third one stores and oh, so good and i guess so is good. it the best one and that's why it became so popular with lots of different people is it the best one it's the only one <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, i mean it was it was somewhat of a popular game uh, with the first two but then when the third one came out it just shot into stardom and you know even to this day it's one of the like top games on steam almost any platform that has it available because it's so well made, it's so well done. Oh, so good. So, you know, this got us thinking, like, this is a sort of an awesome success story of a video game being adapted out of another form of media, in this case, books, and then, like, it even further um, adapted into TV. But, you know, that's not always the case when it comes to video games being adapted out of other media. <laughs> oh boy. Where is this going? <laughs> and so that that got us thinking about other other types of games. Let me get things started with so I kind of uh I broke things down into just some categories because there's all different levels of quality and quantity and effort and you know like sometimes these things get made as like a well, you know, this was really successful. We made this movie and it made millions and billions of dollars. So it just makes sense to make a bunch of more media materials as an opportunity to make a little extra cash. And sometimes those like surprisingly turn into good games, but we can start with a a series of cringy adaptations because that's fun. I would think the majority are not surprisingly good. (laughs) They're really cringy. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with, so you guys have seen The Emperor's New Groove. That movie? Once when I was a child when it came out. Okay. George, have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Movie's incredible. It's hilarious. It's the perfect pairing of David Spade and Patrick Warburton as foils. And it's just like this, I don't know, it's really well written. Obviously, the animation's incredible. I go back and watch it regularly because it's it's just really good. This is something new I've just learned about you. What? Me too. Uh, I didn't know that uh, Emperor's New Groove was so near and dear to your heart. Yeah, are you kidding me? It has such tasteful humor that like borders on being untasteful. And it's like, did yeah. they really just say that? But that's like the whole movie. All I yeah. remember yeah, out of it, I love it. are the uh, the Yzma and Kronk memes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Kronk was the best character in that, shit, in that yes. movie. Absolutely. It's a testament to how good the movie is in general. So obviously that movie like killed it, made a ton of money. So it's like, hey, let's make a video game. But this was an instance of they made the game as a way to check a box in the hopes that people would throw their money at it because it is such garbage. It's terrible. It's like this. So instead of trying to do anything original, all of the cut schemes are literally just excerpts from the animated movie. They literally will just like play part of the movie 
And then they stick you in this big, empty, completely empty sandbox that has randomly scattered coins and like a a key to open the door to move into the next thing. And that's about as complex as it gets. It's just like, it's a, you're a llama, you run around in a giant open field and you collect a couple coins in a key and then you keep doing it over and over and over again. Uh, it's just, it's clunky. The dialogue is cringy. It's like, like you go up to a character and you talk to them and they're like, press the B button to talk to other characters and it's just, they, they didn't even get the actual talent to voice the game. So I think, I think maybe David Spade actually voiced his character, but all the other ones are like these B-rate, like really terrible impersonations of the actual characters. And it, so it's funny in that way. I w- it's not really worth like slogging through the gameplay to see it, but it is worth going onto YouTube just to see... You know, if it's like freshly in your mind, the movie, like the actual performances, and then you go see like these really terrible impersonations. It's pretty funny. Yeah, that wasn't something exclusive to the impersonated group, too. I remember like every Disney movie that came out, they had to have a horrible video game the same year of the release come out, too. Like it was like one of those super obvious like this is just trying to get a little bit of extra cash out of it. No effort or love was put into it, which is a shame. Or budget. Or budget, exactly. And it's sort of like, it was such an eye roll because like, even if there was one of them, a really good game, it was just all just put together in the one section of your mind of like, oh, these are the crap made the year the movie games. They're not worth anything. Yeah, it's just, it's so sad because, you know, if... Well, I guess at the time, like back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that wasn't, I don't know, video games definitely weren't what they are now. So I feel like the the natural evolution of that that actually turned into something worth playing, which in my mind, that's Kingdom Hearts. Um, It's like, okay, let's pair with a well-known video game developer and let's stick our IPs in there. (laughs) <laughs> and actually have them treat them well. Yeah, there was also uh, Epic Mickey. Yep. Epic Mickey was a solid one where they're like, artists, have fun. <laughs> there were, I don't know though, because for so, for the Mickey Mouse IPs specifically, the video games that have come out of that, for mm-hmm. the majority, it's an oversaturated you know collection, but there are a lot that even in the early 90s that were specifically some Sega games. Mm-hmm that were solid games. And it's, I think the difference is those games were being created, like you said, with Kingdom Hearts, they were being created by actual game developers who knew what they were doing versus the Emperor's New Groove adaptation, which is a, it's like somebody who has had peripheral interact. It's like somebody's dad whose son plays video games and he like kind of sees it every once in a while. And then he goes into work and then his boss is like, you have to make a video game because our movie did really well. And he's like, I don't know how to make a video game. But they're like, oh, but you have to do it or it'll be fired. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll figure it out. That is the result of the game. It's like somebody who has no idea what games are actually about. So yeah, it is very funny in that way. Yeah. Well, I wonder also too, because Emperor's New Groove being more of like a children family movie that, you know, it was kind of approached that way too. It's just like, oh, little kids can play this. Well, I knew when I was a little kid, I saw them on. I'm like, those are crap. (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if they succeeded in that. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I did play it when I was younger. It was age appropriate for me at the time when I played it. No, I did not play it after I was 20 years old. That did not happen. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at the time, to your point, George, I don't remember it being as bad at the time. And it was probably for a lot of different reasons. But when I look back on it now, the experience I have now, I'm like, oh. You know what I was playing as a little kid? I was playing Centipede. I was playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. Uh, I, yeah, I I was already at that point. I knew what good games were. So at the time, I think I was flipping back and forth between Emperor's New Groove and Wolfenstein 3D. (laughs) (laughs) They're basically opposites in every way. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you turn on the Emperor's New Groove game when your parents come in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I don't think the gateway could have multiple <laughs> games running at once. It would just, like, explode. <laughs> well, along those lines, I was well, I was trying to think some of the earlier games that I've played um, that were based on other media, and one of the earliest ones I could think of was the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, the video game. <laughs> Wait, is that the name of the game? I think when I was Googling it, because I couldn't remember the exact same, the exact name of it. And when I found it, it was called the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And then I just put the video game to be clear. It wasn't the movie. It was the video game about the movie. (laughs) I wish that was the actual title because that would be perfect for a SpongeBob game title. It would be. Um, And it was like in the early days when I got uh, the GameCube. And I remember it very fondly. I remember they basically wasn't following. They were mimicking the movie, all the plot, but they weren't like what you were describing with the Emperor's New Groove. They weren't showing like little scenes from the movie between it. It was more like, like the adventuring part of it, like getting from one plot point to the other. Like what's the in between? They would build large levels, like platforming stuff and like, you know, catching jellyfish and shooting fish with chum buckets on their head, that type of thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was very like, it was very goofy and funny, but I just remember the later levels were so difficult for me. And I don't know if that was just because I was younger and I didn't know what I was doing or if it was like actually had some difficulty, but I just remember the game fondly. I should probably revisit it and see if it was actually as good as I remember it being. Yeah, so SpongeBob SquarePants. I didn't realize how many games they have, but I mean, that's such a giant IP. You know, they had all their mobile games, games for every platform, different styles of games. Just trying to hit all the markets there. So you would you go as far as recommending that somebody check it out now? Is it of that quality? I would not recommend it until I go back and verify. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I'm. Pro- it's probably very dated by now. It was like 2004. So I've, it's hard unless you're like Final Fantasy VII level of prestige. Like uh, it's very hard for me personally to go back and play old games like that. So it was more in the funny category than like sad or torturous. Is it funny because the game tries to be funny and is actually funny? Yeah, I mean the I mean imagine SpongeBob and Patrick like saying their their typical lines while randomly like while jumping around it's i love spongebob squarepants so i find them funny do they pull any of the jokes from the source material it's so long ago i i would kind of tell you for sure i hope they do i hope (laughs) there's a whole thing about giant paint bubbles and chocolate bars and stuff like that 
I think they've all, oh, I do remember. I will leave you on this note. There was a level about fighting the enemy on David Hasselhoff's butt. They had a whole level. <laughs> yes. Like, it basically, you, there was only a U-shaped platform you could be on. It was his butt at the top of the U, and then it's the two upper legs. And so, like, oh, the whole yeah. background is him swimming on top of the ocean, like, trying to get to Bikini Bottom. And, like, you're on a close-up <laughs> of his butt and his hairy back and his hairy legs. And you're just, like, fighting <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> that is just anatomical and narrative accuracy right there. It could not be avoided. So, you know, I had a good time. That's great. That's amazing. I would also probably say that there are some unfortunate, sad oh, no. attempts. And, but I would also say, too, that sad in the sense that I feel like there were some actually good games that came out but had a short shelf life one that comes to mind is called lego universe and it came out in 2010 i think and it was this mmorpg that you could play online with like all of your friends and you took the form of a lego minifigure that would be kind of in the similar vein of world of warcraft where you go to all these different worlds there's different factions what um, yeah yeah and you get to like create your class and you had all these activities that you could do wait is this like a full blown actually good game yes how did i never hear about this because the game was shut down in 2012. It only had a two-year lifespan? Yes. And supposedly that's because the developers, uh, Warner Brothers Interactive, and who I think was the publisher, and then the actual developer, were not able to come up with a successful revenue model for the game. And because of that, there was no cash flow, and so the game had to be shut down. I played it a little bit, but my two younger brothers played it like religiously. Uh, you know what? Actually, it's probably a good thing I didn't hear about it because I would be one of those people that's sitting over there like, I'm level 90 and you can't figure out a way to make money to keep this alive. <laughs> I did my part. They didn't invent microtransactions, apparently. No. <laughs> you know what's sad, though? Like, I believe Reese, in the past few years, they made another game that was a multiverse game, Lego game. Like trying to bring in a bunch of the different Lego IPs. But the biggest difference is that like you would buy packs of Legos and you put it on a little reader, sort of like the uh, Amiibos, and like it would import it into the game. And so like I can totally see how that would be more, oh, we can get our money by selling different types of packs that you can then import into the game. That's pretty cool. But yeah, that's that's one where like in in the sad category of it was a great game, but it was cut short because of, you know, cash flow. Maybe they'll bring it back. Maybe they'll give it a new coat of paint and uh, fill it with some sneaky little microtransactions and then we'll get to have a longer than two-year <laughs> lifespan. I feel like they should because, I, I don't know. Well, I actually had on my list of, like, actually good video games based off IPs or, like, all Lego games, I think, are solid games. Like, they have the Lego Star Wars, Lego Lord of the Rings, Lego Jurassic Park, Lego Harry Potter. They, like, the, the list goes on, but every single one of those Lego games I've played have been solid. It's, it's not, like, blows my mind, but I feel like the quirkiness of, like, adapting a 
world into Lego form and then like seeing how they're going to tackle certain elements in Lego form is like, that was always fun to me. And then they, they follow the plots of their stories pretty solidly, but they always do a funny spin on it with iconic scenes to make them hilarious. I just, I always had a fun, uh, it's always a solid time. Yeah, there's love put into them. And I think it's uh, a lot of those are almost kind of like proving grounds or like giant laboratories that led to, oh, let's do a movie. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of narrative storytelling elements in there that you can see there's an evolution of sophistication over time. They kind of like figure out a specific brand. And it's not like a one-to-one with the movie, but yeah, they are pretty good. I played one of the Harry Potter ones a long time ago. Yeah, yeah they, they quickly developed a really good system that they were able to carry over and kind of implement for whatever franchise that they were adapting. Yeah. You know what? I hope they bring back the MMO one because I want to be a level 90 and I want to wear <laughs> Harry Potter wizard robes and have an Iron Man head and fly <laughs> around on a broomstick and blow people with my lasers. Freaking awesome. That'd yeah, it would cool. be really cool and a kind of a breath, I think, of fresh air if they, because I know from both my brothers that they, you know, obviously had fond memories of playing the game and definitely wish, like, why don't they bring it back? Bring you know? it back! <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's not our only sad game. I think we have one more. Well, that's more like. It's yes. sad in a different way. Sad in a different way. One of the. Ga- it's not one game, it's a platform of games, but. What I thought of when I thought of media adaptation when I was younger was DisneyChannel.com and their host of Flash games um, based on their television shows. Um, I don't know if you two watched any Disney Channel when you were younger. Oh, yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, you got the classics. You got your Kim Possible, Lizzie McGuire, Lilo and Stitch, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Almost every single popular hit show had a Flash game on this site. And mostly they were dress-ups or simple platformers, but they were a lot of fun. Or, like, they were, like, super reduced. They would, like, pick one mechanic, and then they would build an entire game out of it. And it was just, like, so easy to just hop on the site and get into for, like, a little quick hit of fun. (laughs) But... Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in that. And like looking back, I'm like, oh gosh, what was I thinking? But it was like, I see it almost as an early way of, of them trying to like, I don't know, like having a little fandom around their property, um, having different avenues for accessing it. So they would be very particular about like, no, let's cut out the heads of the actors and put them on these little character bodies like they wanted to make sure that it directed straight back to the show like they had like a little restaurant game with the sweet life of zach and cody and like avoid the angry hotel manager like it's they tried to keep thematically the game tied with the show so like kim possible they had platformers where she was doing acrobatics and jumping all around i appreciated that but looking back it's very like ooh. Look at those Flash games. No, you actually owe all of your current very deep fandom (laughs) things you got going on to this. This is where it all started. It's like, oh, wait, I can watch the show and then I can go enjoy it as a a platformer. I can be Kim Possible. Yeah. (laughs) 
gosh. Uh, but wait, so when I th- when I hear flash games, I hear time wasting garbage. Probably yeah. But <laughs> okay, just has, wanted to clarify. Yeah, it's uh, like a little sprinkled of goodness in there. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? When I was trying to research the timeline for this, there are quite a few sites that are like, "You want to play those old games? Here, we have direct links." And oh man, that old site. What is this world? Oh, what is this ugly. world where you can go back in time and play Sweet Life of Zack and Cody Escape from the Hotel Manager, but there's no <laughs> Lego Universe MMO? Yeah. This is not the right parallel universe that we're living in. Right. Yeah. Things are reversed. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, check that out. Wait, so this is sad say. because it's just tinted with your nostalgia glasses? It's, or? it's like... I know how sad the games actually are. But not how sad you were to play them. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sort of like a little embarrassed of my past self when I was going back and looking these up. So No, no, you shouldn't be. It's it's games games for kids. Yeah. 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 Well, I will say one thing. Um, I was embarrassed uh, at myself looking back at a couple games that I played that um, felt like shouldn't be hard or difficult to play, but were actually enormously difficult to play. <laughs> Wait, like what? Toy Story I owned for the PlayStation 1. I can't remember if I actually beat the game. I remember getting fairly far into the game, but I remember it was years later after initially getting the game that I ever got past like the third level. But I, I remember that game being very, very difficult because it's that era of... Oh, uh, dude, I know what you're talking about. It's uh, third-person 3D. Yes. And there's parts of it where there's, like, green goo on the ground. Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh, I rented that game one time. I totally yes. missed these, Dude, apparently. no, that, that's a hard game. When that game first came out, it was yes. really hard. You're right. Yes, because it was very much like the game's really cool. You're in 3D. You're getting to play as your, like your favorite freaking character, Buzz Lightyear. So cool. You have laser <laughs> and you can shoot stuff and whatnot. But it's very much the gameplay in and of itself is very raw and kind of <laughs> unpolished in a sense. <laughs> yeah. So the unpolishedness and the rawness makes it difficult. Yes, because games nowadays have very streamlined and polished the ability of like your traversal throughout a game. I think it was more of an accident that came about because the game required very, very precise movements and precise jumps to traverse the levels. And enemies did like a lot of damage and and such. So on top of that, the navigation like, of oh, you need to go here and you need to do this and then you need to come over here and do that is not very organized. Oof. Yeah, those very Toy Story games are savage. See, this screams to me like those earlier Disney games that we were talking about, how like the rush to get it out, like that's what's causing the difficulty of the unpolishedness and like not actually testing <laughs> properly and like scaling difficulty <laughs> i would imagine it's probably part of that and then just inexperienced or not like top level developers doing this stuff and doing it a long time ago before a lot of these conventions have been made because mm-hmm. uh to your point george about the really like overly precise platforming that's required to be successful in the game i was watching something recently where the developer of dead cells which is a like roguelike 2d platformer yeah. 
they were talking about how they account for player error in some of the traversal by having a, pr- like if you get within a range of being close to grabbing a ledge or making a jump or whatever, they give you some rubber banding in there. So even yes. if you technically would have fallen off, you actually still make it because it's not fun to, which we found out after like decades of game development. Well, that's it's not exactly fun it. to have to be super accurate. That is it. That is like all these old games. I remember that in SpongeBob. That's what made part of it. Di- like, yes, that's it. Yeah, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to be Buzz Lightyear and have to be like right on the dot. That kind of it destroys the fun. You have one, right. one, ang- one degree of <laughs> out of the three hundred and sixty. You Don't have you to dare miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the game was called uh, Toy Story Two: Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue. Maybe oh, it's you, freaking maybe classic. You're talking about Toy Story One. I was. I but I'm going to look up Toy Story Two footage right after we do this because I want to go on a little nostalgia <laughs> trip. That is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so to piggyback off you, George, I'll bundle all this stuff together, even though if you've actually played both these games, you'll probably hate me for putting them in the same category, but there was a Toy Story game, there was a Jungle Book game. They were released within a year of each other. They're both on Super Nintendo, which is what I played them on. They were released for multiple consoles because that's how you make it the money. You have a big audience. And it's pretty clear to me that if it wasn't the exact same people making these games... They were very similar just in terms of the play style, the feel, kind of like the objectives, the way they tell the story. And it's very interesting because it's almost like they kind of toe the line of being like a legitimate video game in their own right. And then being a like afterthought add on to an existing IP because the games are actually pretty solid. Like the the mechanics are there. I think they still had the like issue with having to be exact, but I, I'm going to say that's more of a product of its time and less of people being inexperienced developers by today's standards. So they were fun. They were challenging, but they were you were able to beat them. It was just a matter of trial and error. It's like Mega Man. It's yeah. like old the first Mario game, Super Mario Bros., whatever. They're kind of in that category, which at the time was totally in vogue and made sense. But for a little kid, which I was, (laughs) it was insanely frustrating because those games are freaking hard. Like actually getting all the way to the end, I've still never done it for either of them because they're so hard. Um, I haven't gone back and tried it in a while, but even as an adult, it is quite the challenge. And part of it is due to like clunky mechanics. So it's almost like with both of them, they set up a 2D platformer that's pretty tight. And it has, you know, a couple different mechanics, has good traversal layout for the like level design and everything. But then to up the ante in terms of what the offering is, they do kind of like these gimmicky add-ons. So there's a level that's like a first person shooter in Toy Story where you're like holding the little alien dolls and like walking around in this maze that's set up like Wolfenstein 3D and trying to find this stuff. It's not that the maze is hard to navigate on its own, which it is. It's not just that, but it's like just moving the input for the buttons is so non-intuitive. It just makes it hard to just walk. So, uh, you know, that that being the thing that makes it difficult to me in my mind is like, okay, this is a bad video game. They have another one where it's like a fully like top-down view and you're the little race car, the RC car. And you have this, it's the clunkiest, 
uh, if you have access to it and can play it or you know what I'm talking about, you'll, it's just a like freaking nightmare where they have like this little UI set up in the corner for the RC controller that you're using to control the car in the game, which is different in terms of its inputs and nothing like what you're actually using the controller in real life. So you have to manipulate that controller with your controller to make the car move. And it's so convoluted and like non-intuitive and just clunky garbage. It's so hard to get through that level and there's like a deceleration problem where like if you get going too fast it's like impossible to stop and uh, it's so like frustrating so i put the i put these animated disney movie games into a torture category because as fondly as i remember them it's also just like rage inducing stress this probably cost me at least like two years (laughs) off my lifespan so thank you disney (laughs) there was another game for me too that was a bug's life it came out before uh, Toy Story 2, like the year prior, and it was even worse than the Toy Story 2 game. And the graphics were worse. The gameplay was extremely clunky, and I remember only like getting past like the first three levels and just giving up on the game because it was too hard. Because there's no serious like, oh, I need to go here to here to here. There's no like waypoint or quest objective. You're just like thrown into this level. And you're like. Go do the level. So true open world, you're saying. Isn't that what everyone's clamoring for right now? <laughs> don't tell me what to do. <laughs> wait, wait. So yeah, but, but it's just like you don't have any direction. Is that the problem? There's a very narrowed sense because you're like, yes, throw me and let me do whatever I want to do. But in these games, throw me in, give me basically nowhere to go. I only have these very, very limited things that I can do, which is like walk and jump and collect things by walking into them. Yeah, it's it's just very, uh, it's rough. So they Oof. don't give you any motivation. Oof. Right. Oh, that's rough. That's bad. That's... But it was also another thing, too, where they would, like, play, pause, uh, cut scenes from the movie um, oh. and then throw you into the, the so level. So cheap. So cheap. Wait, so was it hard from a perspective of like the mechanics, is it hard to get around or was it like yes. the difficulties hard? Yes. It's another 3d game, third person. Um, but like your walking is very kind of hard to control because there's like a inertia movement to, to it. So when you try to, you know, slow down or stop, there's like a ramp down and a ramp up and such. Oof. And you get like these little abilities as time goes on. They're like different seeds that you can plant that do different things. And another thing, if you've ever played Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast, there are parts in that game, because again, that's not a game where it has like a clear and concise, go here and do this. There would be times where you would just get like stuck and you're like, I have no idea where to go or where to do. And then I would go and revisit the game a couple years later and I'd be like, oh, there's this little itty bitty bitty crevice thing that I'm supposed to shimmy through that doesn't even look like a crevice that I'm supposed to go to in the game. And then it's like, oh, this is the rest of the level. (laughs) What? You know, like all of everything you're talking about, it's so funny because I, I think there's a lot. It's like what I alluded to earlier is a lot of older gamers are clamoring for their own sense of nostalgia of like games used to be more difficult and like in a good way and like it's too easy there's too much hand holding nowadays but i'm like is it really just like back then that they just weren't well designed games and so it was like you just have to try so much harder because 
Because like it's you, a fault of the developer. Yeah, like, is it more of a fault or a design? I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and so I just pulled the A Bug's Life game up, and the list of developers that had a hand in it are one, two, three, four different developer companies that worked on A Bug's Life. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> and it was published by at least two different companies. Oh, dude, that is just like a project nightmare. I bet you somebody started on it and they're like, oh, I don't like where this is going. We're going to change hands. And then they did it two more times. <laughs> yeah. No. Oof. Well, yeah. you know what? I, I'm getting stressed by just listening to all these torturous games. Wait, wait no, I can't let this go. What? I can't let this go while we're still talking about torturous games and games being bad and maybe it's a design thing and maybe it's a not. I would like to point everyone's attention to a fan favorite in the Zelda series mm -hmm. and point out how that game, too, is, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, poorly designed in certain areas mm -hmm. that make it extremely difficult for players to find the progression point from the exact same thing that you're talking about with Bugs Life, George. So yeah. specifically, like right at the beginning of the game, the very first dungeon you do, go into Deku Tree. Okay, I do this room and then I Are go up about to the Ocarina top. Of Yes, I'm talking about Ocarina of you're, Time. You're, you're about to, it's blasphemy what you're just saying by, by at any, <laughs> any way calling out uh, errors in this game. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm not married to the Zelda series <laughs> and I can see it somewhat objectively and oh, make critical commentary about it. Don't get me wrong. Here we go. I fully agree with you. I don't think Ocarina of Time is the best Legend of Zelda game. No, no, we're not the, ranking things. We're talking about garbage design. So... <laughs> <laughs> Garbage design in Ocarina of Time Ooh. happens in the very first dungeon. There's a very far into the dungeon. This is probably like over 70% of the way through. You're like, where do I go? Where do I go? And it's the point right before you go to the room that's before the room of the boss room. And it's the room that has the Deku shrubs in it that are like, do this combination. And then you hit their nuts back at them. And they're like, oh, now you can go in the boss room. The way to get into that room is not anything that's alluded to even briefly in dialogue. There are no contextual pieces of data in that game that give you insight into the fact that you're supposed to take a stick, light it on fire, and then roll over the web to burn it so that you can fall through what looks like an endless chasm, which you've been told by every other video game that's ever been designed is the way that you die. And then there will be water down there and you will land safely, and then you'll do this little thing and then be in the boss room. To me, that it was so difficult at the time, and I was in the target audience when I was playing this game. I had to go look it up. I can't dispute. I played Ocarina of Time after the Twilight Princess. I was Twilight Princess my first, so like that is a mechanic you do in Twilight Princess. Oh, so you're one of those late bloomer Zelda series fans who gets to play all the perfectly polished learn from the mistakes <laughs> games that's why i'm saying i can't follow you for that because like when i went in and i'm like i knew that's what i did but that was based off earlier zelda knowledge so uh no i agree with you i, I that's why i think twilight princess is a better game than ocarina of time but i know there's a lot of there's a lot of love for ocarina of time on the internet and if you say anything bad about it, it's like, ooh, suddenly your opinion isn't valid. But no, I, I agree. There's, uh, I, I think that some handholding is good, <laughs> especially on the very first level when you're establishing. I don't know. Uh, well, I don't even think 
it's not hand holding though. It is a you have to give some initial information to go off of to do the math in your head to figure out, oh, that's the answer to this solution or to this problem is this solution. It's uh, handholding is they walk you right up to the solution in my mind. But good game design is you get to do trial and error and there's enough there that you can work with to where you can figure out the solution on your own but if you do enough trial and error. The counter argument to that is like, take the first Mario game at the very first level and it's like they're teaching you to jump you jump over things, right? Like, they don't tell you how to do it. You just, you figure it out. You figure out, you jump, and you figure out you have to jump over things. They stick you... There's a fine line between what would be hand-holding and what would be, you know, poor design. And it is extremely subjective, by the way. Yeah. Because it it is like, it. there's all of the stuff that you come to the game with. Like, for you, Mm -hmm. when you played Ocarina of Time, you already had the, like experience with some other Zelda games. So when you approached it, you knew some of the conventions that are like staples of the series. You know, if you do this thing, then this always happens. And so you don't have to trial and error that you kind of, that's already solved for you just based on your personal experience. Or like for me, I didn't have that experience going into it. They should have had a room in the temple before you got there where they locked the door behind you. And the only way out was burning down um, a web. That's that you had to do a rollover. Yeah, like if yeah. you don't have any other distractions in there, like that that's video game design. That is solve yeah. your way out of this. And that's Zelda, actually. Yeah, that's Zelda. They, and at that point in the game, you've already been introduced to using tools to accomplish things in your environment. Good. Listen up, Nintendo. <laughs> Go back in time and fix that for a young Robert. Well, they did do a 3D re-release on the 3DS, and they didn't fix it. They didn't add any additional context for the now little kids who are playing it on their 3DS five to ten years ago who would have been their first impression with the game and could have had a smoother experience. Oh, they didn't it fix wrong. it. The little kids now are going straight to Breath of the Wild and then they'll play the older games. They're like, that's not like Breath of the Wild. They have their parents as a resource that already played the game. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so let's totally change gears. I'm going to briefly jump into some actually good adaptations of two film IPs that were turned into full games in their own right that are so good. So uh, Mad Max Fury Road had a game spinoff that was developed by the Warner Brothers Studios arm that develops video games, which, by the way, they have a long running history now of making very high quality games with the Shadow of Mordor series. Yes. With the... Lego. Yeah, the Lego stuff. Well, I guess they're... Uh, Batman stuff. In the games, they're just boarding. Let's it. just say they've been crushing it for quite a while. Yes. So this came really as no surprise, but it was even with the setup of like, oh, it's a WB game. In my mind, it even exceeded that threshold. So it's super interesting to me because they approached the game with being informed by the film's aesthetic and kind of like parts of the narrative to establish like some of the characters and setting and everything like that. But more of the legwork was done to create original characters and original setting and context and everything. Have you played this, George? I have actually. I've, I've played the whole Mad Max game. It's so good, right? It is really good. Like yeah. the driving is so fun. It's uh, the game in terms of the quality, like the presentation. It's gorgeous. Yes. It runs per- like flawlessly. Is it based off the latest movie? More or less, yes. 
It well, that's what I was saying. So Mad Max Fury Road is yeah. the reason that this game exists. Uh-huh. But they didn't just borrow the story. They're like, okay, we're gonna make a game that's just in the world. Yeah, as a call out to the game. It's the same kind of setting and aesthetic. But it's its its own game in its own right. It wasn't trying to be a carbon copy of the movie. Okay. So yeah, it's really good. If you haven't played it, I would say check it out. If you, especially if you're not completely allergic to the Far Cry formula, the Ubisoft get the towers and expand the map. If you like having, I think they have enough variety to where it's enjoyable for yeah. like 50 hours or so. It does get a little old at some point, but it's a good game. So one more. On the GameCube. Oh, sweet GameCube. So there was a 007 game that came out on the GameCube and I believe some other consoles as well, but I played it on the GameCube in 2003. It's called 007 Everything or Nothing. I know most people are thinking like 007 Goldeneye and yes, the game is super influential. This one, for some reason, this game had like an insane budget and they were able to hire Pierce Brosnan, John Cleese, Judi Dench, Willem Dafoe, it's like, it's a fully voice acted, like very legit narrative that has pre-rendered cutscenes based on like engine, game engine footage, where they like, as close as you could at the time, they did really true to life representations of the the actual talent. So the villain is played by, by Willem Dafoe and looks like Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the player character, looks exactly like Pierce Brosnan. Uh, when you go through and like select your gadgets for the mission, John Cleese is like, this is a, this is a good night. And it's a blah, 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 blah. It's so like, I don't know. They did like a spot on translation and like where Mad Max was loosely influenced by the aesthetic of the films. This was like, we're going to do it exactly, but as a game and they nailed it. Yeah. It's like, it has the atmosphere and everything. No, I wasn't watching 007 games when I was like 13 or movies when I was like 13. Cause you're not supposed to do that. But I was, and it totally nailed it. The One of the notable things about this game, too, is they developed a separate engine for the vehicle levels. Those, it's, it's interesting because there's like, it's third person combat, like hand to hand and ranged and whatever. That's the primary. But then they have a secondary level type that's broken up into like chapters. And when you play those, the entirety of the level takes place in whatever vehicle you're in. So you know, you can't like do the Grand Theft Auto thing and like get out of it and then get back into it or whatever. But the engine for that was, for the vehicle levels, was based off the latest technology for Need for Speed at the time. So they're so legit. That's actually probably like the main selling point of that game or the highlight is how solid the vehicle controls are. Like you get on a motorcycle where you can like shoot blow stuff up like while you're on the motorcycle and then you get into the sports car and you like have like rockets and that's James Bond it's guns and cars it's and ladies and lady were there ladies there's ladies okay and it's so freaking good it's incredible and then they got like the dude who made the music for 24 the tv show and the Jessica Jones adaptation did the music for it it's not I don't think it's really that good but apparently that's a selling point it's just, it's, it's solid. It's solid, even by today's standards. And it's multiplayer. It is a split-screen multiplayer. I know those don't exist anymore, but it is a split-screen multiplayer game. It's freaking it's so good. Would you say that, like, having all that talent, which was probably pricey, 
like was worth it? Did it add to it to the game? Yeah, absolutely. Although the gameplay is really solid, the story in its own right is like genuinely interesting because they're at least for a teenager, I guess, but they're exploring this idea of nanobot technology being introduced by like nefarious black market. I want to destroy the world purpose people. And I don't know, it's a, it's an intelligent look at like what that could be like and how it might be leveraged to like manipulate people and do chemical warfare, but chemical warfare you can't see and all this stuff. So having the, I don't know, having it performed by or like world-class talent, it just helps sell all that and elevate it to a level where I think you're able to engage with it a little more seriously and it feels like things are more high stakes because it's like, I'm Pierce Brosnan. You're John Cleese. Like, this is real. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, no. No. Were you no. Like, I'm 007. It's so good. My yeah. brother and I played that game all the time. Well, I mean, I think that trend of bringing uh, actors, well-known actors in to give a game some prestige is something that hasn't gone away. Um, that's always a big selling point. And actually, that's a great transition to a game I have on the actually good list. <laughs> Jurassic World Evolution. They brought in Mr. Jeff Goldblum to do a bunch of, like, when I say a bunch, I mean a lot of lines. Um, they had him playing Ian Malcolm. Basically, just sort of as a narrator, the entire time you're building your your park. What do you do in it? Uh, so it is an awesome... Uh, okay, so I love simulation games. Like I s said earlier, I grew up on like Roller Coaster Tycoon, Zoo Tycoon. It is a mashup of building a theme park and a zoo. Basically, it, it is a simulation zoo park builder and with dinosaurs. <laughs> And the whole time. And your favorite character, and my favorite Ian character, Malcolm. You're telling you how much of a bad idea everything you're doing is. So, you know, that's great. But you like it. But I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. It's probably not the highest on everyone's list. It's not even like the best simulation I've ever played. But I had so much fun because I love the Jurassic Park series. Like, even the new movies i get a lot out of it i love me some dinosaurs and some things going wrong are you saying that a mediocre jurassic park park builder game is better than a not jurassic parks but marginally better game uh, i mean it's not even like a horrible game like it's a solid it's a solid game like, so it is good I just, it's probably not good for everyone but it's good for me because it's got that extra level of theming on it i really like so well, no, this is the perfect case study of, okay, let's adapt some media, some movies, some IP into a game. This is a natural, like, this is the type of game you would make out of Jurassic Park series. You would make a zoo builder, a park builder. Right. Um, and I think they do it splendidly. And even with the new game stuff of, like, mixing genomes and, like, creating new dinosaurs, like your Indominus Rex, like, they have, you can make your own dinosaurs in the game, too, so... It's taken a lot of old, a lot of new, and uh, I have a fun time playing it. I research, and they timed this really well, too, because it came out, they obviously developing it for a long time, but they came out a month after the second Jurassic World movie. So I find it so hilarious that Jeff Goldblum is so prominent in 
as voicing in the game, but like <laughs> he has like one tiny little scene in the movie, and I find that hilarious. Um. <laughs> so apparently, I just I had completely forgotten about it, but it is definitely a thing. Do you guys remember uh, the Peter Jackson King Kong movie? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was also made into a game around the early release of the Xbox 360. What? Could you play as Jack Black? Don't No, I don't think you play as Jack Black. <sighs> but I apparently the game is fairly well received. Well, you bet I'm about to look it up after this. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. So, okay, so we just talked about a lot of games that are based on books and movies and TV and all that fun stuff. I think next time we're planning on talking about the other way around. So things that originated as games and then later became other kinds of popular media, movies, TV, etc. Because that always worked out so well. Well, it's, you know, it's mixed results. <laughs> that has a long, horrible history. So really quickly, we will maybe talk about the following things. Sonic the Hedgehog. Detective Pikachu, Ready Player One, Wreck-It Ralph, Scott Pilgrim, Assassin's Creed, Mario Movie, Uncharted Movie, things that have existed long ago, things that existed yesterday, things that are yet to be seen. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But uh, we wanted to leave off with a kind of just thinking about, yeah, there's all these things that we played, but what would we want to play that doesn't actually exist? And please... Listen to this very clearly, game developers, and then actually make it, because this is a wish list. (laughs) So George got me hooked on the King Killer Chronicles books. They're really well written. They're not perfect, but I really enjoyed reading them. Are they fantasy? What are they? It's so fantasy. So fantasy? It is. It is is fantasy as fantasy gets. Yep. It's that middle-aged, good old fantasy goodness. Uh, You're following like a flawless protagonist as he has like quote unquote trials and tribulations of growing oh, he's up. Flawed. Oh, he's, he's flawed, but he's not actually flawed. You know what I'm saying? Yes. He's a little too perfect, Yes, but that's why it's fun to read because it's like, Oh no, he's in danger. And then he somehow is like a freaking genius and gets out of it every single time. It's, it's very entertaining. You should read it, but it's I'm not knocking believable. the book. Yes, exactly. Yes. Which is exactly why I would love to see this adapted into a game because there's so much detailing of this in the actual books themselves of the logic for not just like how the character relationships work and all the, the regions and factions and all of that stuff. It's very like world-class tier level of world building just across the board, but it specifically really excels in the magic that's in the book is... Yeah. It follows this really specific logic that is easy to follow. It's believable. It's rooted in the real world. And I could see how like implementing that into a video game would be really interesting and fun and intuitive because it's just so well thought out in the books. Like all the groundwork is already set there. It's just about how do we implement that into a system? I think it would be so fun and it would be so refreshing because like as much as I love Skyrim and all the other games, sometimes the magic just feels like way too OP and it kind of takes, in my opinion, it kind of takes the fun out of it where if they did a King Killer game, 
it would mm. be, it would, you have to earn it. You got to get that magic the right way. It'd be okay. so fun. Okay. What, do, George, do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, as long as they take their due diligence and really polish it, um, it can be implemented well. But I think it's something that unless you're really going to go all the way with, really trying to implement it, it's not going to work. The The good news is, is there could at some point on the horizon be a game because Patrick has already in talks with uh, Lionsgate to develop a movie and a TV show based off the series. Oh, yes. And we know what happens if those get through. You got to make a game. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Nice. Okay. Uh, well, mine's a little bit more probably controversial, but <laughs> something that I am actively involved in, involved in, in my real life. I, I follow the news and I follow politics, uh, probably a little bit more closely than the average person. I'm not perfect, but, uh, <laughs> I find it so interesting how like things can change day to day so drastically, uh, and how people can lay the best laid plans, but some one thing can throw it all out the window and, uh, you're like relatively on a you're on a timeline and you have like election day as as you know your your end day your your goal day so I thought as someone who really likes all these simulation games I've been playing a lot of civilization six recently and I think civilization is so interesting and like you know starting from you know the the tribal level like from very from a settler from your your base like building a city all the way up to the modern nuclear age and i would love a game that is more focused on the different types of political realms of like different parties different belief systems and how it can shape your country um and like almost taking a player stance of like behind the scenes and like you pick a government or or like maybe you're not even picking a government. You're just like aiming towards a certain type of government. And how does that affect your citizens and your relationships with the rest of the world in civilization? They do have some of that element and it gives you certain buffs, but it's not as involved. I would like one that's more focused on like trying to actively mold a specific type of political stance and how that affects your country. So I thought that would be pretty interesting. <laughs> you know what I want to do with that? What? I want it to be, and I think you want this too, because you love torturing him. I want them to, I want Hideo to do a nice, beautifully <laughs> full rendered Norman Reedus again, but as a political candidate this time. <laughs> So that you can not only torture him and making him go across the wasteland while he's scared and carrying way too much stuff in fear of time fall. But no, now he gets to be a politician. So you can torture him psychologically now. <laughs> it's like, it's like, how do you remain like pure to your beliefs, but still try to get people behind you? It's like this weird balance yeah. of charisma and it's purely... I don't know. It's, it's not even like you have to stick to your own ideology, like in your real life ideology. Like in in Civ, I just beat a game of a level where I did it through creating my own religion and converting the entire world. I'm not religious, but that's the path <laughs> I chose in this version of the game. So You're not religious, but you got everybody else to think you were enough to defeat them. Yeah, exactly. I should look out for you. I created the force as my religion, and I beat the Catholics. So. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> may the force be with you. Yes. So I think that would be interesting. And it, I think it'd be a cool learning opportunity if you actually put real world stances in there and like had certain sort of like Civ does certain buffs and cons to each leave system depending on which one you choose oh man i think you i think you would so enjoy the bethesda games the good bethesda games that you <laughs> yeah. are so allergic to because they have that in spades why am i allergic to it <laughs> yeah how many of them have you played i own skyrim <laughs> how much have you, you played it There's always just how much of you have you played it's on the list to play no you played it for six minutes <laughs> it's on the list <laughs> after I go play Jurassic World right, Evolutions well, again. <laughs> for the record, those games are rife with political goodness. Yeah, well, I want more like real world that hopefully educates a little bit. Yeah, it would be hard though. It would be very hard, it, especially for the game makers, like trying not to influence like bias or anything, just using. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a very quickly slippery slope. Whoops. <laughs> so, George, do you have any wishes for a game made out of a piece of media? Not really. I, I think more of what I want is better adaptations from the game side to the big screen. That's for next episode. Right. <laughs> that, that's my kind of way. So I'm not going to say a whole lot on there. I mean, as far as like systems or stuff to be implemented into games, I mean, there's a lot of what I you know wished for when I was younger and, and such like is kind of been put into effect. I think more of it is now is taking the things that we have and meshing them again in continuous ways that you know surprise us. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much concerned about games becoming more, in a sense, like the real world. I'm happy to contend. You know, again, it, to me, it's just about putting me in a world that is very exciting and very engaging. I, to a degree, have a gameplay type preference, but or genre preference, but yeah, I just, I love what people do with the things that we already have. George, that is the wrong answer. I know what the right answer is for you. Uh, what if they had a game that was based on the last kingdom? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> that would be so good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got me there. That would be, sign me up for that. Yeah. What no, type of game would it be? I feel like it would be kind of a Witcher type game. Oh, um, Yes. Where you are this character that's, you know, has an allegiance to both sides, but, you know, everybody's backstabbing you in a sense. Whereas, like, I feel like the Witcher, he's more, people are backstabbing him, but he's also backstabbing other people. Some equality in there. Nice. Yeah, but in, in I feel like a lot of what happens in The Last Kingdom is... He's got good intentions for both sides, but people, he just gets the shit beat out of him. So I think there should be like a morality and goodness bar where like you have to try to not descend into evil (laughs) because of all the backstabbing. Um, I don't know exactly how that would uh, take the form. I think that that particular type of uh, medium existing in like a movie sense works better than necessarily in a game sense. Not to say that it couldn't, but I liked instead of having control of this character, I liked seeing the, him make his own decisions without me influencing it. You know what? You're right. Full circle. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Cool. Well, with The Witcher, I feel like we've come full circle and that's a good place to end this. 
I hope, you know, we got your brain juices flowing about what you'd like to see adapted into a video game. And maybe we'll see it one day. <laughs>